I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Killing one person is considered murder, a uniquely serious crime. Then there's war. The last living British First World War soldier was Harry Patch, and before he died in 2009, he said, War is organized murder and nothing else. From so many examples, we know that once there is a state of war, our normal guiding morals go out the window. It's like a switch has been flicked, and it's okay to kill other human beings. Today, the state of Israel, under its most far-right government, is every day unleashing great hordes of bomber jet planes killing thousands of innocent civilians in Gaza, that narrow strip of land between Israel and the Mediterranean. But there's another totally separate region of reservation for the former inhabitants of what is now recognized as Israel. We're talking about the West Bank. The attackers of October 7th broke through a fence which had kept them restricted to what's called the world's largest open prison. Yet the fog of war, or perhaps the diagnosable madness of war, has let loose rampaging killers into the West Bank, which did not participate in what happened October 7th. Is it a new front on the war, or merely a crime scene? Did the war in Gaza... Did the war in Gaza give illegal West Bank settlers a green light? As our guest today, Edmonton-based journalist Jeremy Appel writes, when the world's attention has been rightfully focused on the situation in southern Israel and Gaza since October 7th, extreme Orthodox Jewish settlers have used this opportunity to escalate their ongoing efforts to destroy Palestinian villages in the West Bank, intimidating residents into fleeing across the Jordan Valley. And an article in the New York Times of November 5th adds chill to the already shocking story. Uh, an Israeli government request for 24,000 assault rifles from the United States is drawing scrutiny from American lawmakers and some State Department officials who fear the weapons might end up in the hands of settlers and civilian militias trying to force Palestinians from the land on which they live in the West Bank, where violence has been surging from the Israelis. The three proposed tranches of semi-automatic and automatic rifles are valued at $34 million and are being ordered directly from American gun makers, but they, I'll add, luckily require State Department approval and congressional notification. Israel says the rifles would be used by the National Police Force Yikes! But has also indicated that they could be given to civilians. And the Times piece adds, those overseeing weapon sales intend to approve the orders and announce them in the coming days. Well, since October 7th, more than 150 Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank. I understand it's way more than that by now, nearly equal to, uh, to the number in all of 2022. Israel's Minister for National Security, and I may pronounce this wrong, Itamar Ben-Gvir, a far-right politician who oversees the police, promised last month to provide guns to settlements. The uh, Israeli government providing guns to settlements. Civilians let loose and empowered with semi-automatic and automatic rifles to kill other civilians. Luckily, again from the article, President Biden and his top aides are increasingly worried about rising violence in the West Bank. Uh, well, as needs, 
uh, to be emphasized again and again, Zionism is not Judaism. One is a religion, a faith, a set of moral and ethical values, and the other is a militaristic racist nationalism. Our guest today writes in The Orchard and Counterpunch about a certain religious leader, Rabbi Eric Escherman, who's calling attention to the unleashed settler violence in the West Bank. The article is titled, Israeli Rabbi Describes Settler Rampages Across West Bank. Our guest, Jeremy Appel, is an independent Edmonton-based journalist and author of the forthcoming book, Kenny, Kennyism, Jason Kenny's Pursuit of Power. And if I have it right, uh, Jason Kenny was a uh, uh, right-wing uh, former politician, former cabinet member, and uh, our guest has written a book about him. Thank you for being with us. You are in Edmonton, Alberta, in that very large country to the north of us. What drew your attention to Rabbi Eshaman? How did you hear of him? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Bert. Um, I, my attention was drawn to Rabbi Asherman through an organization called Reform uh, for Human Rights, uh, which is a movement uh, started by a couple uh, friends of mine, um, in, one in Calgary, the sort of big city a few hours to the south of Edmonton, and another here uh, in Edmonton, uh, in the sort of uh, liturgically liberal uh, reform uh movement of uh, uh judaism um that you, you, that um you know i uh I, i'm sort of the type of jew who you know goes to synagogue on the high holidays and isn't isn't particularly involved in um uh you know sort of jewish religious practice uh most of the year but these friends of mine are quite involved with their uh, reformed congregations. And so they started this organization to uh, sort of explicitly advocate for Palestinian human rights within the uh, reform movement, uh -huh. um, because there is sort of this, um, I guess, ideological struggle um, between, it, that's very generational between sort of the older generation of Jewish people um, who are uh, overwhelmingly Zionist and identify the state of Israel. Of course, they have different shades, you know, Zionists have different shades of, 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 of views on, on the modern Israeli state, but are generally supportive of it. Um, and the younger generation that is increasingly more uh, critical yes. of uh, the state of Israel. Um, so I, I actually uh, found out about Rabbi Asherman uh, through this event. Uh, it was the inaugural event for uh, Reform for Human Rights um, that took place uh, online. And um, yeah, that, that was actually my uh, first introduction to Rabbi Asherman. But then as I was writing the piece and, you know, reading up uh, what I could about him, uh, you know, he's quite a well-known feature. I mean, he's been profiled in the New York Times and the New Yorker and has been doing this uh, human rights work um, as a Jewish uh, religious leader for uh, quite some time now, but like practically my entire life. Mm. Yeah, I can very much relate to what you say. I also am Jewish and go to uh, uh, the synagogue on high holidays, but uh, and I still certainly consider myself Jewish. I am not a Zionist. They're two very different things. Well, who, Rabbi Eshelman, uh Well, he's he's with something called Torah Tzedek. What is that? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Torah Tzedek, which uh, in Hebrew means Torah of justice. Ah. Torah, of course, being the Old Testament, the, 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 Jew, the Hebrew Bible. And uh, it's an Israeli uh, human rights organization that is faith-based. Um, and uh, it basically has uh, two goals in its mission that uh, you can read on its website. Uh, the first is um, its uh, ambition to build a society uh, in Israel that honors uh, God's image in every human being uh-huh. and to, um, in doing so, uh, promote human rights for everyone, regardless of their faith or ethnicity. And then the second is to educate uh, Israeli society um, about the need to honor God's image in every human being um, while taking concrete action on the ground to um, promote human rights um, as, again, an eschatological obligation. Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah, there is that generational difference for sure. Torah Tzedek. And, you know, everybody has seen images of Gaza, the massive destruction in retaliation for the outrageous October 7th attack. Two million people have lived in that open-air prison. But a a lot less is known very well about the West Bank. We know it's not Gaza. What is it like? Is it uh, cities like Gaza City or countryside with shepherds as it used to be in biblical days? How big is the West Bank? Uh, Please talk about what the West Bank is and compare it to Gaza, if you would, please. Right. So the West Bank is much larger uh, than Gaza, which is, of course, one of the most densely populated places on Earth. And uh, with, uh, you know, more than a million people uh, being forced to flee the southern Gaza from the north, while Israel just destroys the north and also bombs the south, where people are fleeing, I mean, it's about to get uh, even more densely populated. Uh, The West Bank is more spread out. it has cities like uh, Ramallah in Bethlehem and Jericho and Janin and Nablus. Um, but it also, of course, has these, these small villages, um, you know, throughout that are sort of um, the, a major difference between the West Bank and Gaza since 2005 is Israeli settlers are... Um, moving into the West Bank and have been doing so since Israel occupied it in 1967. Uh, They're subsidized by the Israeli government to do so. So not all settlers in the West Bank are driven by, you know, this sort of ideological religious zeal to conquer uh, what they call Judea and Samaria. But sort of the leaders of the settler movement uh, certainly are. Um, uh, I think of no... uh, you know, a lot of the um, cities uh, mentioned in the Old Testament, um, such as um, uh, Jericho, as I mentioned, uh, Hebron is another, and uh, also uh, Shem, which is modern-day Nablus, um, are located in the West Bank. So this has a lot of importance for the sort of far-right messianic settler movement who believe Israel needs to conquer uh, the West Bank. Um, 
and um, are have been doing so in sort of a, a, a piecemeal fashion, right? I mean, the, the settlements mm-hmm. sort of divide up the cities and, and, and make it so they're not contiguous, making it impossible for, um, you know, this um, increasingly untenable uh, two-state solution, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, I think back in your day, not to, to age you, um, was sort of the goal of like the international like peace uh, injustice right. movement, um, but um, has been made uh, increasingly untenable. Um, of course, there are checkpoints all over um, the West Bank that uh, Palestinians um, have to go through in order to just uh, travel um, to where they need to be outside of their city or village or town. And um, there are also um, Israel in the 90s during the, the sort of peace process with the Palestinians, which uh, I'll, I'll talk about a bit more in length in a second, um, built highways that uh, connect the settlements, which are all illegal under international law. Uh, you know, every country in the world except for Israel regards them as illegal. But there are also settlements like these outposts that aren't like established, like, because a lot of these settlements are now like cities or like suburbs of Jerusalem, East Jerusalem uh, being part of the West Bank, or at least was, but Israel's increasingly sort of expanded the borders of Jerusalem and cut it off from the West Bank. But um, uh, they, they built these highways to connect the settlements where only Jews live to Israel that uh, Palestinians in the West Bank aren't allowed to use. So oh. in, in effect, these are segregated roads that are, are, are similar to what you would have seen in, under apartheid in South Africa. Right. And uh, under the uh, Oslo Agreement, where um, the Israel finally agreed to sort of recognize the Palestine Liberation Organization, as representative of the Palestinian people, and the PLO reiterated its previous uh, recognition of the uh, reality of the state of Israel's existence and uh, accepted that uh, the best they were going to get was a state in the West Bank, in Gaza, in East Jerusalem. Um, It split the West Bank into three uh, areas. Area A, which is nominally under Palestinian control, being the Palestinian Authority, which sort of the PLO, um, which was, of course, a guerrilla movement uh, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that um, fought um, Israeli forces and also did, you know, some committed some atrocities against uh, Israeli civilians, nothing like on the scale of October 7th, but, um, you know, that they, they did engage in armed struggle um, and uh, perhaps went a bit too far at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was transformed into the Palestinian Authority, which was supposed to be the sort of Palestinian government in blading. And so they control area A of the West Bank, which essentially encompasses all the major cities. So the ones I mentioned, Ramallah, Bethlehem, Jericho, mm-hmm. Nablus, etc. And then uh, there is area B of the West Bank, which is under joint uh, Israeli and Palestinian uh, control, which of course in practice means it's under Israeli control because they're the ones with the the you know billions of dollars and weapons uh, sent to them manually from the United States, 
And then there's Area C, which actually encompasses most of the land in the West Bank that is under full uh, Israeli control. And that's where we're seeing um, settlers uh, really aggressively move in and aim to depopulate these these, these villages mm. and uh, shepherding communities uh, in the occupied West Bank. Uh, and even though the Oslo peace process um, collapsed uh, in the early 2000s, this sort of uh, security infrastructure, which I think it's worth noting, is designed to protect Israelis from Palestinians. Um, there's no consideration for protecting Palestinians from uh the Israeli military or settlers uh, remains intact. Mm. And so even in Area A, which is um, theoretically under Palestinian authority control, um, like firstly, the Israelis are surrounded in areas B and C. Um, and uh, secondly, the Palestinian authority uh, police forces uh, which are trained by the United States and Canada and Britain and other Western countries are there to arrest Palestinians. They have no ability to um, arrest uh, Israeli citizens when they uh, brutalize and abuse uh, Palestinians. Mm, nothing like equal justice under the law. <laughs> For those who just... Well, separate by equal, I, I, I mean... Oh, well, that's another one, too. Uh, Bert Cohen here. Uh, for those who may have just tuned in, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is talking about uh, what's going on. Jeremy Appel, uh, who's an independent uh, reporter, writer, journalist in uh, uh, in Edmonton, and talking about the West Bank, what the realities are in the West Bank, how this is a new sort of front, perhaps, in, in the war. And it's kind of unclear why it's happening. But uh, as you describe what the settlers are after, I'm reminded of the old German phrase Liebenstraum, or Liebenstraum, rather, living space, that was cited in a certain uh, previous uh, rather awful war. It does sound uh, somewhat similar. So there's, I, I, was, I heard yesterday, actually, uh, a, a report about... Uh, a reporter was was going in just to talk to a farmer, an olive farmer in the West Bank. And as the uh, press was there, uh, the guy was grabbed, uh, harassed. There was a uh, uh, a drone that uh, that harassed them, and he was pulled out and taken for hours. Uh, this harassment has been going on for quite some time, but that what that that's what. It used to be. What what's different now than it's been for a long time? This you know campaign of harassment, that that aggressiveness that was described uh, with the olive farmer seems to be something new. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I mean, settlers in the West Bank have for decades been uh, you know uprooting uh, Palestinian olive orchards that have uh, you know been around for hundreds of years and burning them down and, uh, you know, attacking the shepherds who are attending their flock um, and um, all sorts of uh, acts of brutality. I mean, this, the, the, this has existed from the uh, inception of the settler movement, but I think there are two key developments that have led to this escalation in settler violence uh, over the past uh, year or so. The first would be um, the election of this uh, far-right Israeli government that you alluded to previously. 
And so um, the way sort of Israeli electoral politics works, at least within uh, Israel's legal borders and the settlements in the West Bank, right? Like Israeli settlers uh, have a right to vote in Israeli elections, even though they live in the West Bank, but Palestinians who live in the West Bank do not. Ah. But Palestinians who live in the state of Israel do have a right to vote and they elect, um, you know, parliamentarians who are quite partially critical of the state of Israel. Um, and I, I mean, one of them, uh, he's actually Jewish. He's a, a Ofer Kassif, who is a member of uh, Hadash, which is the, the communist party, or it, it's a sort of uh, it, um, successor of the Israeli communist party. It's the Jewish Arab party was actually kicked out, of, was suspended from Knesset, Israel's parliament, mm for um, um, comparing, uh, for saying that what Israel is doing in Gaza is genocidal. But um, uh, tangent aside, um, the far right, but basically the Israeli um, uh, political system is a form of proportional representation, which I know uh, a lot of people would like to bring to Canada, and I think would be a, a good idea in in our case. In fact, Trudeau promised to do that and then didn't. Um, but uh, it, people vote for whomever they want, right? That each party has a list of sort of ranking of candidates, and you vote for your preferred party, and then based on the percentage of the vote that each party gets, they um, elect that proportion of members of the Knesset, which means that no party uh, gets an outright majority, uh, the vast majority uh -huh. of the time. So the leader of the party uh, with the most seats in Knesset um, has to build a coalition with other parties. Um, and so the previous Israeli government, the one uh, immediately before this, was like a coalition of like far-right uh, far and like more centrist and I think a couple even nominally left-leaning parties. This time around, uh, Netanyahu, um, who has uh, been Israeli prime minister on and off uh, for a very long time, uh, since, I mean, his first term was in the late 90s, and then he made a comeback in 2008, and then was not prime minister for about a year, uh, came back with the support of uh, parties. That, I mean, Netanyahu is pretty well known as, as, as an extremist himself, yes. but, these, these, but he formed a coalition with parties that were to the right of him, um, both, you know, ultra-nationalists, and also uh, religious parties uh, that have uh, support from the settler movement, and many of these leaders are settlers themselves. Um, and so uh, the government has never been more openly in support of the settler movement in Israel, although even past left-leaning Israeli governments you saw in the 90s, like Shimon Peres, his labor government, mm -hmm. and his rocks were also, they were supporters of the settler movement too, because they had pro-settler parties in their coalition. Um, but but this is just, you know, fully mask-off government. So that's one part of it. Uh, the second part 
um, is, of course, the attacks of October 7th, which uh, had further emboldened the settler movement, because while uh, Netanyahu's government was uh, very unpopular and uh, attracted a lot of opposition from sort of Israel's more like liberal, secular, European element, uh, after October 7th, uh, the the country is largely united in support of fighting right. the enemy. And uh, as we'll get to shortly, um, not a lot of people are interested or uh, willing to talk about um, the situation in Palestine, whether it's the West Bank or Gaza or uh, within Israel. Uh, yes, and, you know, the, the hate groups, there's hate groups in the United States, uh, but when they become vigilantes, that's something else. And when they're provided powerful weapons and are allowed to do their business by local police who literally turn aside and let them do it, that's that's something else. And the National Security Ministry, which oversees the police uh, and is run by uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir, says the newly armed citizens will be organized into what he describes as security squads. Tell us about this Itamar Ben-Gavir. I've just heard a little bit about him. Tell us, please, about his history. Yeah, so Ben-Gavir is sort of an extremist, 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 if you will. Um, He is himself a settler. he is a follower of the late uh, Rabbi Meir, Meir Kahani, oh, wow. um, who is, is almost like the, the polar opposite of a guy like uh, Rabbi Asherman. Um, he referred to, um, he was an Israeli politician in the 1980s who referred to Palestinians as dogs and a cancer. And uh, he advocated uh, expelling um not just Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank, but Israeli Arabs from Israel. And uh, I, I mean, he was so extreme that he was actually, his party called Kaf, yes. um, which means strength, which had some you know, pretty fascist uh, overtones, I would say, um, was, was banned uh, from running in Israeli elections in the late 80s because it was so openly not just racist, but also anti-democratic. Like he wanted Israel to become a full-blown theocracy. Of course, there have always been theocratic elements uh, in Israel, but it, 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 the, the founders of the state of Israel were uh, vehemently secular for all their uh, flaws. I mean, not only were they not religious, but they held uh, sort of religious Jews in contempt as this sort of like meek old Jew, old world Jew that they wanted to sort of leave in the dustbin of history. So Kahani then goes to the United States where he uh, founds an organization called the Jewish Defense League, which was at least until recently uh, listed as a terrorist organization in the United States. Uh, He was assassinated um, and Anyways, Ben Gavir um, is uh, a student of his, and I, I mean, he's referred to Kahani as a saint. Um, uh, ben Gavir has been arrested uh, for inciting um, hatred um, in 
uh, you know, earlier years. Um, and uh, actually, what was quite remarkable is he had a photo in his living room of Baruch Goldstein, the, the, the man who in the 1990s, uh, in 1994, I believe, just as the peace process was beginning, massacred uh, 40 Palestinians uh, in a mosque in Hebron. And uh, Ben Gavir uh, thought that was great and had a photo of him uh, in his living room up until he ran for office in 2021 when he was elected and explicitly, openly in the Israeli media said he took that photo down because the optics are poor. The optics right? are like, poor. He, mm. Yeah, he still thinks that Barth Goldstein was a great man who was simply defending Israel. And now this is the guy who's in charge of uh, public safety uh, in Israel. And this public safety uh, organization uh, is coming into security squads and going into the West Bank. And uh, it's a, it's remarkable what a green light these, uh, well, frankly, terrorist settlers have uh, been acting on in in recent days since October seventh. Even though, you know, the, the the war October seventh was started from Gaza, not the West Bank, but the West Bank is part of uh, Palestinian areas. And I wonder if you could tell us a story about a, a couple people there. One is Bilal Saleh and his brother Hashem. They're just citing examples of of what's going on in the West Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, so in uh, late October, uh, Bilal Saleh, uh, who's 38 years old, was shot and killed by a West Bank settler in the uh, Palestinian village of Salia. Um, Israeli police then came to the scene because, um, of course, they called the police when there was this uh, act of violence. It's the Israeli police because the Palestinian police don't have the capacity to uh, uh, fight hmm crime against Palestinians by Israelis. And the police asked him for his testimony, his brother, Hashem. Mm -hmm. And uh, as uh, Hashem approached the uh, Israeli police, uh, his jeep, uh, officers pulled him aside for questioning and then handcuffed him. Um, His shirt was stained with his brother's blood. And the police uh, put him in an unmarked truck that had civilian plates and drove him away uh, with a military escort. And Israeli police said he supports Hamas, right? I mean, this man's brother was just murdered by Jewish Israeli extremists. And for reporting that crime to police, he was accused of being a Palestinian uh, extremist, mm. um, which I think also shows the, the murky uh, sort of nature of uh, relations between Israeli law enforcement and the settler movement. I mean, he was arrested in a civilian car, mm. right, um, by uh, uniformed police officers. I was going to ask about Tariq Mustafa. Yeah, another instance is in Wadi Sheik, Palestinian village that uh, no longer exists now. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a Palestinian village that has since been wiped off the map after Arab Israeli settlers uh, 
started rampaging through. It's a Bedouin community. All right, okay. Um, and, and, and they've been, uh, settlers have been sort of roaming through it every day uh, since October 7th. I mean, they had their eyes on it before and they were given sort of uh, pretext and they were threatening to kill everyone in the village um, if they refused to leave. Um, and uh, Tarek Mustafa told a reporter from the Washington Post, one of the residents of this village, that settlers shouted at him in Arabic, get out of here, go to Jordan. Um, Settler drove off with his car, stole his car, forced him to walk with his family to the closest nearby town. Again, uh, Tarek Mustafa called the police, just as uh, Hashem Salah did, and the police just hung up on him. Um, and um, Tarek Mustafa told the Washington Post that the war in Gaza is giving settlers a green light, right. right? Before the settlers would abuse them and, you know, tell them to go to Ramallah, right? The sort of biggest city in the West Bank. Now they're telling them to go to Jordan, right? Which, which, which tells you, I mean, they don't want any Palestinians in the West Bank, Right. They, they want them to go to Jordan, which has always been a sort of vision of the settler movement, but now it's become uh, much more explicit. Mm. And Jordan has been at peace for quite some time. But you mentioned the Bedouin. You know, there's the, the Israeli, uh, Jewish, Israeli people, there's uh, Palestinians, but there's also Bedouins. What, what's happening with the Bedouin community and who are they? They're not as, as well known as Palestinians for sure. Right, and so there, there, there are Bedouins in the West Bank, and there are also Bedouin villages within the state of Israel, which uh, many of which aren't uh, recognized um, by the state, and uh, so the state doesn't provide any services for them, like Al Zarnud, for example, which is in the Negev Desert, which is not far from Gaza, and um, the. Residents aren't even, you know, when when uh, Palestinian militant groups in Gaza fire, um, you know, these primitive rockets into Israel, um, sirens go off, right, to warn Israeli residents to get into their bomb shelters, because unlike Palestinians in Gaza, they have access to uh, shelter uh, from attacks. And those alarms don't go off in these Bedouin villages because the state doesn't recognize them. Um, now, some uh, through the Israeli justice system and in intervention of uh, organizations like Tarek Tzedek and Rabbis for Human Rights have earned recognition from the Israeli government, but uh, many do not. And in, in, in either, um, in, 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 in both cases, um, that makes them even more vulnerable to being pushed out of their communities. Um, by settlers. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Bedouins would probably, when they're talking about like more nomadic, like rural uh, people, um, what you'd have in mind is, is Bedouins. Um, but also, if you go to Israel and, and, and you go on one of these sort of, you know, state sanctioned trips, you know, 
um, you know, the touristy stuff. They'll take you to, uh, you know, uh, what is at least a fast meal of a Bedouin village to give you this quote unquote authentic Bedouin experience where, um, you know, you eat great food and, and, and sit by the fire and, uh, um, you know, very much uh, tokenizes uh, this community that is uh, horribly marginalized, both within Israel and within uh, the occupied West Bank. Do they get treated any better in the West Bank than Palestinians in the West Bank? No, they don't. I mean, they're not, right? I mean, the, the sort of the settler movement, uh, which is Jewish uh, supremacist right. at its core, um sees them as as uh, lesser beings uh, than than Jews, and um, mm. you know, in fact, at, at these at these yeshivas, these Jewish seminaries where uh, settlers um, are indoctrinated into this uh, particularly um, pervert, perverted um, conception of Judaism. I mean, they're taught that to kill or um, expel uh, a non-Jew from the land of Israel is uh, a mitzvah, mm. a good deed, right? Um, and so, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think they distinguish between Bedouins or uh, Palestinians. Oh, and of course, many Bedouins are Palestinian, right? Like, they're not, yeah. those categories aren't uh, mutually exclusive. Uh-huh. Good to know. And for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is Jeremy Appel, an independent Edmund-based journalist uh, who uh, we're talking about uh, the West Bank, how the settlers are uh, very active there, gotten a green light, and they're pushing people out, and what the reality is in the West Bank, even though it was unrelated, seemingly, to October 7th. And, we're, and uh, our guest writes about uh, Rabbi Eshman as well, Rabbi Eric Eshman, who said, you know, he agreed with world opinion that October 7th surprise attack was barbaric and evil. That was his words. It, but we were talking about you know, the core Jewish values. The Talmud is one of the core uh, Jewish documents. What Talmudic wisdom does he suggest would be appropriate for Israel to now consider? Mm-hmm. Um, well, um, in the Talmud, uh, it's stated that um, if you kill someone to keep them from killing another person, and you could have stopped them in another way, that's murder, right? Uh-huh. And, and, and further, we're taught that even to save your own life, you can kill a person who's trying to kill you, but you can't kill innocent people in the process of doing so, even if it is to save their own life. Now, that, again, the, the Talmud is an ancient text, and it's hard in the modern world to, to, to sort of uh, tell people that, particularly when they've been uh, indoctrinated in this culture of, of, of militarism, and that's not just Israel, but also uh, your country. And, and mine to uh, perhaps a lesser extent, even uh, under uh, international human rights law, which again, isn't uh, taken seriously by Western nations, at least when it pertains to us, when it's Russia or China or Iran, then you know they must abide by um, international human rights law. But for us, no, no, it's the rules-based international order. 
But um, under uh, international human rights law, um, which Ashraman uh, says is in accordance with like uh, profound Jewish values, uh-huh. um, there is no excuse for bombing neighborhood after neighborhood and killing thousands of civilians as Israel's doing in Gaza. And uh, again, Israel boasts that it told everyone in northern Gaza, particularly south, which I think many people uh, would be correct to interpret as an act of mass displacement and ethnic cleansing. Um, even then, they're still attacking southern Gaza, right? Like the Al Jazeera journalist, whose uh, entire family was killed uh, in an Israeli airstrike on a refugee camp in uh, central Gaza um, had fled northern Gaza because they were told to do so by the Israelis. They were told that that was uh, going to keep them safe. And October 7th, I mean, it clearly sets the pretext for what Israel is doing in Gaza. The word they use is defense, that Israel has a right to defend itself. Uh, Not everybody sees it that way, but there is that pretext for, for what they're doing in Gaza. Is there any pretext for the situation in the West Bank? Yeah, no. No, I, I, I mean, that, that's the thing with the West Bank. You talk to a lot of people who are more, you know, sort of liberal-minded uh, Zionists, which I, I, I think um, is increasingly uh, uh, a fundamental contradiction of having liberal yeah, values and, and, and Zionistic values. But, there, you know, there are people, especially in the older generation, who will defend Israel's war on Gaza, say, we need to take out Hamas. Like, yeah, it's, it, it's unfortunate that so many innocent people are being killed, but then they cast doubt on the casualty statistics and find ways to justify it. But even a lot of these people will say what, what the settlements are wrong, right? It's not even, even if they don't uh, see the settlements as what they are, uh, you know, many liberal Israelis would say it, it's not helpful, right? It doesn't, it, the, the, the cost outweighs the benefit. Of, of, of the settlement movement. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, the driving force of, uh, you know, Israel and its part is talking about weeding out uh, Muslim extremists in Gaza. Um, and, I mean, the, the policy in the West Bank is driven by uh, Jewish uh, extremists who I think uh, have very similar uh, worldview to uh, religious extremists uh, Palestinians, although the, the, the key distinction is that these settlers are empowered by a government that has nuclear weapons and gets billions of dollars in aid from the United States and uh, whose proxies uh, like APAC, um, uh, you know, go after any politician who doesn't toe the line on Israel. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, Rabbi Asherman, I, I think, put it quite well when he said that there, there, while um, there is, right, you could make the case, which he doesn't agree with, but, you know, living in the Israeli context, you know, this is a mainstream argument that the, the, that the cost of killing thousands and thousands of Palestinians in Gaza 
is worth the benefit of eliminating Hamas, whatever that looks like and whatever Israel's vision for Gaza is after it does so. Um, there, there is, there isn't that argument to be made in mm. the case of the West Bank. This is unadulterated uh, Israeli aggression. So it seems, and and you write that Rabbi Eric Eshelman spends a lot of time in the West Bank trying to create what he calls a protective presence, uh, protective of of humans. Uh, but he was jailed there. And why was he jailed? And what happened when he was not in the West Bank? So, I, I, I mean, uh, for starters, it is like Jewish Israelis are not allowed to enter the West Bank unless, you know, there's soldiers there that, yeah. that are on duty. But like Israeli civilians aren't. And, and, and you know, a lot of... Mm. Uh, Israel's propagandists in the West will point to that and say, see, Jews aren't allowed in the West Bank, but Arabs are allowed in Israel, um, ignoring the treatment of Arab communities within Israel. That is discriminatory, not to the same extent as is in the occupied territories, but they don't have equal rights to Jews. But this is an Israeli government uh, edict. It's not a, a Palestinian uh, edict, not that there aren't Palestinians who have like to keep Jewish Israelis out, given uh, their experiences of Jewish Israelis, but but this this is uh, the Israeli government. So um, that's not to say that um, Israeli peace activists don't find ways to get into the West Bank and out without getting arrested, but that is always a risk for them, right? And uh, so he was ordered to uh, stay out of the West Bank. And while he uh, stayed out of the West Bank in uh, Wadi al-Sikh, which I mentioned earlier, um, that is where um, um, uh, Tariq Mustafa resides, Um, he described an Israeli settler, um, or Israeli settlers rather, uh, going house to house, um, with soldiers who, who supported them, beating people, robbing them, and uh, telling them that they need to leave. And, and, and then they fled, right? I mean, this village, small village, but nonetheless, it's an entire community that was uh, depopulated. And, well, I, I and again, um, organizations like Paratetic work with uh, Palestinians from urban areas as well who, who, who go to help create this protective presence that um, <clears throat> will um, often deter settlers from the worst sort of abuses because they're being watched and filmed, right? They film them with their, their phone cameras, um, which are often uh, stolen from them then by settlers or destroyed. Um, and a Palestinian from Ramallah who went to create this protective present was, uh, according to Asherman, I'm quoting him now, beaten within an inch of his life and urinated on. Settlers tried to force a stick up his anus. They jumped on him to break his spine. So, uh, I mean, this is what settlers will do to Palestinians if they're not under uh, scrutiny by uh, Jewish Israelis. 
It is amazing what humans can do to other humans. Uh, if, if, yes. If well, it's, as, if it's as loose. Nietzsche said, um, man is the cruelest animal. Yeah. <laughs> I love dogs. What can I tell you? Dogs are great. I'm not sure <laughs> we're even worthy of dogs. Uh, uh, but uh, so what was he arrested for, Rabbi Eshelman? He was, he, I guess he had seen this stuff and, and talked about it and recorded it, and he got arrested. And... Uh, but he's he's an activist now, and he says that I guess he can he feels he can be pro-Israel and criticize the settlers. Uh, that there's no contradiction to those things. And I wonder how your your sense of how uh, out there uh, the rabbi's point of view may be that you can support Israel and rein in the settlers. I mean, it would seem to be smart politics to rein in the settlers and just cool them down. That's what I would think, but they don't seem to be doing that. But I did want to ask about President Biden. He's in an, an interesting position. I mean, he's, you know, said how, you know, solid our alliance is with Israel. It's rock solid and all that stuff. But tell us, what what has President Biden had to say about what's going on in the West Bank? Not Gaza, just the West Bank. Yeah, well, I, as usual, uh, with is sorry, with American uh, presidents, his uh, response has been uh, essentially to say it's not helpful, um, knock it off, um, you know, that they're pouring gasoline on on, on, on this fire. Um, but, but, I mean, he was uh, critical of it and said the settlers need to be held accountable. That's good. But um, he's not going to do anything about it, right? I mean, the United States could uh, end settler violence uh, tomorrow if they wanted by uh, conditioning its billions of dollars in aid to Israel, as a few voices in Congress have called for, but uh, they're not going to do it. Um, and so I, I think it, it shows that even Biden, who's totally defended Israel's attacks on Gaza, has cast doubt on the Palestinian casualty figures without offering an alternative uh, estimation of the amount of casualties. Um, totally um, endorsed uh, Israel's uh, version of events um, with the uh, attack on Al the off hospital, which, I mean, we still don't know who did it because uh, independent investigators aren't being allowed into Gaza, but it looks to me uh, quite likely that it was uh, some sort of Israeli strike. Um, but uh, Biden uh, essentially took Israel's word for it, as as uh, Trudeau did, um, though it took him a few days to do so. Um, but I, I mean, it shows that even uh, Biden uh, can't defend what uh, is being done in the West Bank. Right. I, I mean, there's there, there's no reason uh, there's like you, it's simply indefensible unless you are um, this messianic yeah. uh, orthodox Jewish settler or you're an Israeli person who's so traumatized from October 7th that uh, you just don't care. And they're just the Arabs are all enemies. So, uh, you know, while in peace times, you may see. Um, the settler movement as unhelpful and um, corrosive uh, towards uh, what remains of uh, Israeli democracy. Um, 
you, you know, many Israelis just aren't, uh, are, you know, hyper-focused on the uh, Hamas uh, threat. Um, but, um, yeah, again, it's, uh, Biden is indeed genuinely concerned about uh, these settler rampages. Um, he, he, he could um, push up to it, just as, I, I mean, the U.S. administration, uh, you know, you see these media reports about Gaza saying that uh, they're concerned about the mounting uh, death toll, but they're, they're, they're just, uh, they can't do anything about it. They're, they're powerless. And then you see that they just um, are in the process of approving $14 billion in additional aid to Israel on top of the $4 billion they give them annually. Um, so, I mean, it's, it, it's absurd that, that uh, the U.S. acts like it's just this passive uh, observer to all this and not an active uh, participant. And... Rabbi Eshman, I mean, he's, he's a rabbi, and I think that's important to note. He has, has said, it's so easy for us, as many Israelis do today, to say, they're all terrorists. They must all be killed. They must be expelled. And there is, as you say, that you know, reaction from October 7th, people so traumatized that they just you know, explode and there's this uh, kind of vengeance. It's not just defense, but vengeance. Uh, and it's, you know, many would argue that it's playing right into Hamas's hands, which is clearly what they wanted uh, Israel to overreact. And they can see uh, the results of uh, public opinion across the world. But anyway, Rabbi Eshman says that that idea of, you know, that they're all terrorists, they all must be killed, they all must be expelled, that's not what God teaches. He says that's not the way we need to be. What hope is there for that lesson from the Jewish religion, do you think? And we referred to the Talmud earlier. Um, I think there is a lot of hope um, for the Jewish religion, uh, not so much in Israel, which uh, again, you know, as many U.S. politicians have said, including Bernie Sanders, that this was like, you know, 15 9-11s or whatever. Um, like the U.S. after 9-11, there's this blind rage and lust for war, right. assuming that um, killing more people is going to make uh, the situation better rather than worse. Um, but you see, uh, I mean, Jews um, uh, across the world uh, in countries that support Israel leading um, these these protests, calling for a ceasefire, calling for the end of the siege on Gaza, and yes, calling for the hostages uh, right. to, the, to, to be released from Gaza. And I, I think that gives me a lot of hope um, for um, the future of, of, of the... Uh, Jewish faith uh, decoupled from Zionism, seeing all these young Jews and some old ones, um, you know, fighting for justice in Palestine and not allowing um, these narratives of uh, conflating Zionism with Judaism to yes. divide us from uh, Palestinian people. And I, I think it's been incredibly uh, inspiring. And here in Edmonton, I've been uh, working with... Uh, our local chapter of the group called Independent Jewish Voices, which is essentially the Canadian equivalent of Jewish Voice for Peace. Uh -huh. um, I, you know, we're a small organization, um, but our membership has uh, multiplied uh, 
by significant factor uh, since uh, October 7th and Israel's uh, rampage in Gaza and settler rampages in the West Bank. And um, while things look incredibly bleak uh, at the moment, um, you know, all, all, all you can do is, is, is be hopeful um, for the future. I mean, you sort of have to. I mean, if you look at Palestinians over the past 75 years, I mean, in, in, who are still fighting for their rights and, and you know, drawing inspiration from them in their own struggle um, and by supporting it, um, you know, be inspired by their, uh, you know, steadfastness. And uh, it, it, it does, it is, I, I think, quite beautiful to see, um, you know, when thousands of Jews in New York I and mean, just shut down Grand Central Station, uh, I know today in Toronto, which is my uh, hometown, uh, there is a big action shutting, trying to shut down Union Station, which is sort of the big uh, transit hub uh -huh. in Toronto. It wasn't quite as big as the one in New York, but if I were still living in Toronto, I would have been there. And uh, so it's it's traditional, you know, traditional Judaism is. You know, there's some some real principles that have been there for a few thousand years, and one of them is justice. And uh, this uh, Rabbi Eshelman refers to the tor uh, Torah of justice. So perhaps, uh, you know, as you say, decoupling Zionism from Judaism, perhaps there can be some, uh, some dare I say, hope for the future, and that maybe the settlers in the West Bank can be seen as what they are, vigilantes uh, acting on behalf of, of the uh, uh, this uh, far, far right. It's a, it's a dangerous situation, but West Bank is not Gaza. It's been good talking to you. Thank you so much for being with us from uh, Edmonton. Uh, this has been uh, Jeremy Appel, independent uh, journalist, author of the forthcoming book, Kennyism, Jason Kenny's Pursuit of Power. I know very little about that, but uh, we'll keep in... Uh, <laughs> keep track of uh, what's going on and uh, have uh, brother and sisterhood across the borders. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, great for having me, Bert. And I would be very impressed if uh, any of your listeners know who uh, Jason Kenyon is. Um, <laughs> but he's a very influential figure in shaping right-wing uh, Canadian politics and sort of building a neoconservative movement here um, that ultimately achieved power and um, uh, there's definitely an, uh, an Israel angle to him, of course. Um, uh -huh. He um, was very supportive of the most extreme elements within Israel. But anyways, uh, thank you so much uh, for inviting me on the show. And uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed that discussion, don't miss a single show. Subscribe. It's all free. And if you find the information valuable, your friends probably do too. Please ask them to also subscribe. It's on Apple, Spotify, Progressive Radio Network, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and of course, the website, keepingdemocracyalive.com. Thanks very much.